0: Welcome to the For Narcotics Anonymous podcast. Here we share audio recordings of NA members sharing their experience, strength, and hope. If you are a drug addict or think you have a drug problem, you are welcome to attend an NA meeting. Go to www.nahelp.org/meetings to find a meeting near you. On this website, you will also find more information about the Narcotics Anonymous program. Thanks for listening to this recording.
1: He will, I think he picked up his 30-year cash at the left and Joseph has some things he's going to talk about, and at the end, we're going to have some question-and-answer sessions, so hold your questions till then, if you don't mind. We are recording this, so during the question-and-answer period, please come up here and speak
2: to the laptop. <laughs> 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 All
1: right, with that, I'll introduce Joseph.
2: I'm an to add a call, Joseph.
1: Hey. Hey. I'm
2: honored to be asked to come in particular in anything. Before recovery began in Memphis, I was around, and being clean was just not shooting dope. You take anything, drink anything, but the institutions that were in Memphis considered yourself clean, as long as you weren't using a needle. Um, and that was the first thing I let go of, and called an ambulance on myself, because I thought I had accidentally killed myself. And instead of taking me to the hospital, they took me to a place called Tennessee Psychiatric, which is Memphis Mental Health uh, Institute mm-hmm. these days, which I think is gone now, Um, and said so that I was just uh, crazy. I had an overdose. Um, and from there, I went to, because um, I was living out of my car, and I went to the Salvation Army, and that's where I heard my first 12-step meeting that they were bringing into that meeting, and that's where I got on marijuana maintenance. I, I, <laughs> so I stopped drinking then, and then I saw all I did was, And and that was leading me down the road to do other drugs, and it was about to kill me again. And somehow I wandered into the public library uh, on McLean and found Narcotics Anonymous that the World Service Office had sent the name, and number, and address, P.O. box. And I called them collect, and they accepted the phone call. And that's when I began to get. After a week or so of calling every day, I got clean over the phone and. And the fellow Jimmy Kay, one of the co-founders of N.A., was the guy that answered the phone there at that time. He was the only one in the office. We were small all over the world. At at that time, we only had meetings in in certain parts of the United States, uh, and one or two little meetings in England, uh, a meeting in New Zealand, uh, and that was it. There were no meetings anywhere else in the world, Uh, and he told me, that if I was going to stay clean, that I was going to have to start meetings and go and talk to institutions and tell them about Narcotics Anonymous and what addiction is and what recovery is. And he explained that to me. And from then, our first meeting was at Memphis House, which is a recovery center here in Memphis. We, um, that's the only place that would let us meet and have, have meetings. And mm-hmm. meetings went there, I would have to go because it was only me and pick people up, take them to the meeting, start the coffee and go and pick more people up and bring them back to the meeting and then do the same thing after the meeting. And that went on for several months or almost a year, I think. I'm not quite sure about that. And all this time I was calling Jimmy K. collect to stay clean and find out about what recovery was. And he said, the next thing you have to do is in 79 is go to the 78 go to the World Convention in Atlanta, Georgia, where he said, you're going to find other clean addicts and find out what recovery is really about. And so I didn't know what the World Convention was, so I went to it. And that's where I met my first clean addict other than myself, was in Atlanta, Georgia in 78, in uh, 79, September of 79. I made a note of that date, to try to remember it. And there I met Mm. some people down there and started talking about, we needed a book of our own because, we were using another fellowship's book in our meetings. That's all we had. And he said we needed to write a basic text on freedom from active addiction, and it was going to be a wee book. And I was thinking the wee book meant a real small book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and
2: I went on like that for a long time because I didn't want to ask any questions. I didn't want to think I was stupid, didn't know, know what being clean was and what NA was. But it was we, you and I, and everybody else, not a small book. Um, and so I got over that one. And they they would ask me how long I'd been around. I'd say, well, I've been around a while. Because <laughs> I, you know, I, I was real embarrassed and real intimidated. And I spent half my time up in the room, walking in circles, smoking cigarettes and freaking out. Because <laughs> these people would come up and want to grab you and hug you. And the only thing hugs meant to me is sex. So... I thought everybody was looking for sex. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it, I was really freaking out. Um, and he told me about this literature committee of narcotics Anonymous and to writing this basic text on recovery. Um, and I could read this out of the grade book, which was printed in Memphis, Tennessee, out of a, a workshop we did here in 1981. And remember, that's only after June 79 when I got clean. I went and volunteered Memphis for everything, like we had a big kill. I was going
0: to so, say, yes,
2: we can do this and we can do that. This work is a product of three world conferences, which were held between October 79 and February of 81, Wichita, Arkansas, Lincoln, Nebraska, and Memphis, Tennessee, in excess of 45,000 man hours were expended at Memphis by more than 70 recovering addicts from 13 states to produce the final work. In addition, the Memphis Conference kept nine typewriters with computers, two photocopiers, three cassette recorders, two telephones, and a dictaphone, anybody knows what that
0: is, (laughs) in almost
2: continuous use, and used over 20,000 sheets of paper. So that's all we had to work with then. And out of that Third World Literature Conference that this book came out of, and it was sent out all around the world, but we only had about 1,000 addresses in the United States and around the world individual addicts into the office and this and that, they were not even root, they're just individuals. And we started getting input in and out of input we got in in Memphis. We had a conference over Thanksgiving in November of 81 that this book came out of the approval form and we picked Thanksgiving uh, to do that so more addicts come and participate and have time off and could come and work on the book we had at Memphis State. Uh, and there are some pictures on the internet of that, I understand. And so it shows what how big a Memphis part played in writing basic text. Because after this book, the basic text and hardback. So without recovering addicts in Memphis and all over the world coming to help here, just like the outreach committee, we were kind of like the outreach committee and didn't know it uh, for the world. Uh, just because one crazy old person <laughs> and then one after another and after another came together to. To not use dope. And then right after that we came up with a pamphlet that was written in Memphis called the Triangle of Self Obsession in eighty one and eighty two. And that's about the only piece of literature that went all over fellowship that was very had no changes in it. Nobody had any changes they wanted to make in it. So that made it through so many workshops. So Memphis has played a big part in writing the basic text of uh of NA and it certainly um made my recovery positive, um, and my first sponsor was Jimmy K, and then he said, you need to start a helpline, so we and a couple other people figured out, you know, what we wanted to do, we said, live, we wanted to live, so we went to the telephone company and said, we want a phone number that has live in it, and uh, L-I-V-E, and that's our phone number still today after 30-something years, <clears throat> 276-Live, or live, or however you want to say it, and so that's how our helpline Started and it was just two or three people that would we set up the, to answer to the suicide and crisis center because that was the only contact we had. So many of us were suicidal or had con- connections through different institutions in Memphis, so they answered our phone for us and they had the phone numbers of other addicts seen and they would get phone numbers and call and call us and we'd call the addict back. So that's how the early meetings got started. Memphis House, our first meeting that got started was at St. Mary's downtown, and we had a, a buzzer on there because it was only um, homeless people and um, not clean dope addicts wanted to get into church and steal things, so we had to have a buzzer to get in, and that's where we had our, our first meeting outside. And then we went on and had meetings at Memphis Mental Health Institute, and, and then um, from there things started to grow. I can't remember who attended the first meeting. There's nobody else clean that attended the first meetings of the first couple of years in Memphis today that I know of. They may be somewhere else, but I don't know of them in Memphis. Uh, Gene and Butch and Chris and Lucy in the first five years started coming around, I think, that are in the room today. Uh, first five or six or seven years that are still around, that are the only ones. But uh, from one to five years, I don't know of anybody, um, or four years. There's some people that are around that have uh, that are not here today that are in Memphis uh, like Terry B and who else Debbie Debbie B She's... and um, a couple people like that, not very many so uh, was a struggle and it really warms my heart today to see even how many meetings that we are in Memphis and how many people you see at some meetings um, I-, I isolated for many years, but about the last 10 or 12 years and became so depressed and despondent, that all I did is stayed at home, went to the grocery store, went back home, stared at the TV, and talked to nobody, and would not answer the phone, if it would even ring, and didn't even have cable, it only had three TV channels. So can you imagine just staring at those three channels for 10 or 12 years? <laughs> and that was it. Loving my dog, talking to no one, and it's amazing that I stayed clean until, People like Lucy and jean L and Chris started harassing me (laughs) when the 30th anniversary was coming up. You ought to come back and participate and participate. And it was really a hard struggle to get out again uh, because treatment-resistant depression when you don't take medication is really an emotional dilemma to try to survive your own emotion. And uh, the last drug I really used before I got clean in June 79, with antidepressant. And I realized that I couldn't successfully take anything on a daily basis to survive my emotions if I was going to live a, a productive, happy, uh, arrest free life. And I had many arrests and in many institutions. Uh, I think I had 15 driving on the influence charges, but I had a good attorney. So everyone <laughs> went up with was dismissed. Uh, I never spent more than a few hours in jail. 'Cause I had a good attorney. And and when my attorney finally said, Proctor, no more, no more, we're not gonna do this that helped me into trying to get clean because without a good attorney, you're going to jail. And that's something I didn't want to do. Um, and when they finally started saying no to me, I didn't have my parents, they didn't say no to me, and I had no other people say no to me. So my attorney was the main one. Um that's how Memphis got involved in writing literature and that's how we got our basic checks today. And golly, I don't know how many means we got over we're in almost every country all over the world. And I see my old buddy Keith Norman back there. Um and one thing that that they the committee wrote a a little outline here to help me because I have that early onset old timer disease, which mm-hmm. uh it'd be taken very well. And really think that I may have Alzheimer's early onset and that's something that really concerns me today Um, and keeping a good mental health attitude and um, trying to participate in life and be a better person and learn to love and to hug and all the things this program has taught me. Um, Principles support personality has always been a big thing for, for recovery It's mostly been, in my past, principles for my own personality, to to get out of my own way, to um, be able to like myself, to be able to love myself, to to try to apply that to other people in an unconditional way. So that has been a a foundation of my recovery, to try to put my uh, principles that I've learned in this program uh, before my own personality. I learned to cheat and manipulate at a very early age. I remember in the first grade, I wrote a little speller underneath the desk in front of me to cheat and not get caught. And I didn't get caught. So that was my first... I remember going back and doing inventories. I first learned to cheat manipulate I wrote a little first grade speller in the desk in front of me. And then I went on from there to cheat off other people and... Uh, I cheated all the way through college. My college degree, my, my bachelor's and my master's all cheated all the way through, or I wouldn't have gotten it. I had the uh, teacher's editions of the book. I was able to kind of manipulate and get those. We had all the answers in there. And sometimes they wondered how I got that answer because I didn't know how to do the work between the question <laughs> and the answer. So I just made up crap
0: uh, <laughs> to get
2: to how, how in the world did you get that answer? Of course, I didn't tell them I had their teacher's (laughs) edition. But it was a kind of manipulation all my whole life. Um, And uh, my parents were great enablers to me because uh, I was the only child. And um, uh, they enabled me to the fullest extent. Um, I remember one year in 1965, when I graduated from high school, I had a, a full scholarship to Mississippi State University. That I got falsely. I didn't stay down there but about a year because I spent too much time over at MSCW for women. And so I got kicked out of there. So my conning and manipulation was starting to run dry on me, and I was losing my ability to con and manipulate because the drugs were all in. That's a little bit about myself and a little bit about recovery in Memphis and how a big part that you can be proud of that Memphis Fellowship played in making Narcotics Anonymous what it is today, because it would not have had book as we know it today without what happened to addicts coming to Memphis, Tennessee, and working on this literature. We would have had one, but who knows when and how, because before this book that we started working on, we had the little white booklet and five pamphlets. That's all we had, and, and one or two clean addicts and that's all we had in the world. And so Memphis can be real proud of the part it has about what Narcotics violence is in the world today. And uh, as we as a fellowship did this. I never wrote one thing in the book. I still cannot transfer my thoughts into paper. What I did is help arrange for the cotton machines, empty ashtrays, go out for food, set the chairs up, the tables up, arrange for this thing or that thing to make a good atmosphere so other people can let their talents flow out and do what they can do. So anybody in any room can do whatever they can do to make recovery possible for themselves or somebody else. That is is naked. You never know oh. Wait, that extra minute you might spend or that extra thing you might do might be a good example for somebody else is <coughs> what as, well, as or, and as well as helping yourself and participating. We'd been up for three or four days in Memphis when Greg Pierce, one of the original members of N.A., was in Memphis working on literature when this pamphlet, Triangle Obsession, came up. And we were so obsessed, we decided to write this pamphlet. (laughs) And back then, you could do stuff like that. And then we'd send it to the literature committee, which I was on. I think I was the treasurer of the World Literature Committee at that time. I was. I'm even in the book here. Prove the point. So so we stamped it for review only, printed it up with the printer, printed it up in the exact format as the IPs, and sent it out just like that. But it went out to so many literature committees around the world, do workshops and everything, and it, it didn't even get changed, and it finally got approved. So, God, good, orderly direction works in mysterious ways, and you never know what those ways are as long as you work on um, Hawks Maintenance, which was the early meetings we had. Don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or take yourself to the inferior. Hawks Maintenance with an S. Well, that's a little bit about me and a little bit about about recovery in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm grateful that y'all listened and participated, helping me laugh at myself. <laughs> and... I'd like to thank y'all for asking me any questions that anybody has from each other or to me or anything. We could open the meeting to that.
1: Well thanks, Joseph. Really appreciate you coming <laughs> <laughs> in. Hey, I'll get the question started by asking did Jimmy Kay ever come to Memphis?
2: No. He he was <laughs> in such a his health was in such a condition that he didn't go anywhere. He may of all the time in, that I've been around, I think he got. He was only able to get out one time uh, outside of Sun Valley, California, where the first office was. Um, some other longtime members, Chuck Skinner, which was the original member, came to Memphis and participated. And Bo Sewell, who I met in Atlanta, Georgia, Bob Barrett, the first black member of NA State Clean, uh, came to Memphis to help but the, the, the main co-founder never was able to. But he did participate over the phone. And in the book, there's a line in the front of the book, I think it's still there, it says, everything is in its right season or comes in its right season. There's a line on the first page of the book It's in there somewhere that he sent in to contribute. He initially thought we shouldn't work on the book because he thought it was his book for write. Wow. but he could never do it. But you do know, he didn't. He'd been, began to realize that we were doing his work for what he had done for by keeping he had the World Service Office in his uh living room. Uh and checks for literature and everything were just pasted on his walls and I went out there to see and everything, just like we do things in our living room. That was the office <laughs> and that was the Worldwide Fellowship Nerve Center. Uh just like any one of our women were living room.
1: So I know you um,
2: Thank you. I'm only one of them few, you know, there are others just like me that put so much dedication, uh, and I was lucky to find those people, those few people that were just as crazy with, as I was, uh-huh. and maybe still am. So uh, it was back uh, to that we again, I had to be schizophrenic and have all these other thoughts in my mind, and there were other people around, uh, thank you.
1: My, my name is Clint. I'm a Just to restate what Matthew said, because we didn't have him at the microphone, he was expressing his gratitude to Joseph for starting fellowship in Memphis, and without Joseph and his work in the beginning, he wouldn't do it. So I'm going to walk around right with this. Place. Thank My name is i think this is true, didn't the the VRC stem from literature workshop Thanksgiving oh. that Thanksgiving uh, week?
2: Yeah, our first region in in Memphis was the, the Mid-South Regional Service Committee, and they the ones that sponsored the November of 81 conference over Thanksgiving, and that's where the volunteer region came out of, and that's where the, over Thanksgiving came out of, originally the white literature, and it turned in from a literature conference to a regional convention, and that that's how that region had started exactly, like i am on
1: that. Hey, Steve, hey Steve. I in uh, Kind of like what Matthew was talking about, it blows my mind, but it's getting to where I mean, call them, bless. Uh, question, I guess, is, I don't know anybody else that certainly isn't uh, I know folks have having sometimes in the beginning. Do you still network at all with
2: people? Yes, here recently I've been in contact with other people in other areas. The literature was the key to me knowing other people all over the world. And I've had that great opportunity to know people all over the world. And I still do. Different states in the United States and Australia, uh, where one of my, all my, um, except my current sponsor, are all dead now. And they lived in different places around the world. And we always got recovery old the phone and met up at convention. That was a part of recovery. You must go to the next convention. There weren't as many as there are now. So that's where you only, you had to go to meet other clean addicts together, together. You didn't have these rooms like we have today together. So it was very important to, and I still network with them, and I hear from them all the time. And uh, when I isolated so long with my depression before I came back this time, I lost contact with a lot of people. But they still call, and I've been in contact with them again. So, yeah, thank you. I have a couple more
1: questions. Um, Did Memphis area, as it was starting and getting established, help any of the surrounding areas within two hours or, say, you know, between Nashville and Memphis? How did Memphis outreach to them to help them get started?
2: Yeah, Memphis did go just as clean addicts or some members that were active in the area. We went over to Arkansas. We went up in Tennessee. Um, We tried to go down to Mississippi. Um, Just much like your committee is doing it, wasn't called a the committee then, but we we, we got those, like that road trip, uh, we'd get in the car and go. But it was very hard, unless there's a person or two that really were dedicated to their own recovery to keep those meetings alive, and you couldn't keep them alive uh, Memphis. We'd go, and then that meeting place would be closed and be locked and nobody would be there. But since then, things are, got better, so we did do a trip. Thanks again for allowing me to share and be a part of. It's helped me to come out of my myself, and I sometimes hear that the most important person in the room is a newcomer. Sometimes think the most important room, person in the room is myself, because if I can't take care of myself, I certainly can't help somebody else. Thank. You. All right. Well, if there's no
1: more questions, for the parents. And thank you all for attending. I look forward to the next few months in the outreach committee. Um, it's really cool to hear someone who was in Memphis in the beginning talk about outreach between the world and us and us in the surrounding area. Um, and be sure, and for phone cards, please stop by and put your name, clean date, phone number if you want to be put on the phone card. Um, and unless you're 100% sure, Don't put someone else down, but if you're 100% sure, you can put them down. All right, let's close.